Well, I want to welcome everybody who's watching online or TV, and I want to welcome everybody who is joining us through our locations. I'm so excited to be able to share this message with you today as we continue in our series, High Fidelity, wrestling with just the big core beliefs that we have. And so if you missed last week, we talked about uh, Jesus' death and, and how that connects to just us learning how to forgive and how that covered our sins. It was powerful. And so I, this is actually, I was very excited about this. I get to talk about the hopeful part. <laughs> I get to talk about the resurrection today. Uh, and so I'm super pumped about this. And so I kind of want to dive right into it. But I hope that you're seeing throughout this series that if you want to live a life that matters, you got to know what matters. And so that's a big thing to me. And understanding this and going through this series, it's been helpful for me. And I hope it's, hopefully it's been helpful for all of us. And so let's go after just talking about the resurrection. And one thing that we've been using throughout this series to help us with that is the Apostles' Creed. So I want to go to the Apostles' Creed, kind of show you where that uh, is talked about in this section. So it says, the third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. So the reason we're using the Apostles' Creed, because these guys were wrestling through, the church is just starting, and so many different beliefs out there, and they're going, hey, I want, we want to clarify it. How can we kind of bring this down and settle this in? Because you're talking about major things. You're also, I mean, we're talking about the resurrection tonight. Like, you're talking about this big conversation that is going, okay, do we believe that or not? And so they had to put this in there and go, we've got to walk through this. We've got to understand this. So they would take Bible verses, they would take this understanding and go, okay, if you want to know where they're pulling this from, I'll give you an example from the Bible. And Luke says this, the women were terrified and bowed with their faces to the ground. Then the men, the men referring to the angels at Jesus's tomb asked, why are you looking among the dead for someone who is alive? He isn't here. He has risen from the dead. Remember what he told you back in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be betrayed into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and that he would rise again on the third day. Powerful scripture. But I actually want to go back a little bit farther. I want to go back to a time where Jesus actually proclaimed this even before it happened. And so to set kind of the context of this, Jesus is talking to a lady named Martha. His, her, her brother, Lazarus, had just passed away. And so Jesus shows up, and she's like, man, Jesus, if you would have been here, all that kind of stuff. And he goes right into a statement that I think we've got to kind of sit on tonight. And so Jesus told her, I'm the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. Do you believe this, Martha? That first part of it, I'm the resurrection and the life. Jesus says something I don't think anybody understood. Uh, he kind of goes and shows it a little bit because then he raises Lazarus from the dead, just giving a little sneak preview to what he was referring to. But I, I just want to pause here and go, do you think about the biggest claims you've ever heard, like the people who made the greatest, I'm the greatest of all time kind of claims, or even the debates that we have. I think about even the debates of like LeBron James versus Michael Jordan. I, I'm not here to kind of start something, but... We, we love having these conversations. Love going like, okay, who is the greatest of all time? Uh, and then there's even, to me, funny ones. Like Kanye West says she, he's the greatest artist of all time. And we're like, oh, okay, you could say that. Um, and then here's another one. Uh, the Titanic, well, when it was being built and everything, 
It was claimed to be an unsinkable ship. We know what happened. That didn't go well, okay? It was, it was supposed to be the ship of your dreams. Like, it was everything. And so for us, even if it goes well or it goes badly, we just love these conversations. Talking about being the greatest of all time, Jesus makes a crazy claim. Think about this. Normal, regular people, like you and I, we don't say things like this. We don't usually say, I'm the greatest of all time, or I can raise from the dead. We don't say it. But when someone does say it, we all of a sudden go, okay, this is intriguing. This is interesting. And then when someone backs it up, doesn't it change everything? It changes the whole conversation. And in this context, I mean, it changes everything we believe. According to Jesus, he is the only human being who's ever raised from the dead. So then here's the question. What do you believe about Jesus' claim? Because I think there's a, when it comes to Jesus' resurrection, I think there's a lot of different responses. And I want to focus mainly on four. And so here's kind of the first one. I don't know if I believe in Jesus' resurrection. And and I've been in seasons like this to where I had some doubts with it. Because it's kind of crazy to believe that claim. It's crazy to believe that he actually did this. And then another one, I do believe, but I don't deserve it. Some of us walk with the shame and the guilt, and we go, that's really cool, it's awesome, but I don't deserve it. And then the next one, I do believe, but it's not important to my life now. Some other priorities have come up, other things. It's a cool miracle, don't get me wrong, but there's other things that are just Man, that's got all my time. That's got all my brain space. That's everything I'm focused on right now. And this last one. I do believe in Jesus' resurrection as the foundation to my faith. So I want to walk through these four because I want to make sure that you go, okay, what do I believe about the resurrection? Is it just another miracle to me? Like him turning water into wine or is it something bigger than that? Does it change everything that I do? Does it shape my life? Or is it just like, that's pretty cool. And so let's kind of look into this. Let's start with that first one. I don't know if I believe in Jesus' resurrection. That's why I I think all of us have a season with this, where we doubt. And hear me, as a pastor, I want you to hear this, because if you're struggling, it's like, I know I shouldn't doubt. It's okay to doubt. It's okay to have those moments. The danger is staying there for way too long. Because eventually you have to make a, either I believe it or I don't. And so here's what I, I want to at least help you, at least be able to have a conversation. Because if you're here, I get it. I've been there. But what I experienced is someone gave me just some evidence, some, some things to w- work through. Because part of us, if you're kind of uh, the intellectual type, you're going, I need the physical proof. Why is he not walking around right now just going, I did it? hello, I'm here, this is Jesus. Like, it would be a lot easier, right? But he didn't do that. So we sit here and go, okay, but how, how do I wrestle through this? How do I make sure that I'm in a good spot and not 
staying in doubt. So I'm going to give you just some things to work through. Just, I would say, obviously, I don't have the physical proof that Jesus is right here. Look at him. There you go. We're done. It'd be like, sermon's over. Uh, everyone go home. Uh, but I do want you to wrestle with the historical evidence. Because there are some pieces to this. You have to go, well, if I don't believe it, well, then that says something about what I believe about this evidence. But if you do, you start to go, man, if this is true, then the resurrection may be real. So the first part of it you got to look at is anytime uh, someone has kind of claimed something like this, people have kind of said, well, they were just hallucinating, just having visions. Uh, you've maybe heard of loved ones seeing their loved ones again, even after they passed, those kind of things. And so some people have decided that's what the disciples saw. Because if you read the scriptures, there's plenty of moments, plenty of circumstances where Jesus interacted with people after he had died. And so you either got to go, okay, were all those experiences real or were they just a hallucination, just a vision? And the Bible even talks about that there was over 500 people who had an interaction with Jesus. So this is where it becomes like, okay, so do I discredit 500 personal experiences that people said, I interacted with him, I saw him? And I would also just pause there and go, okay, how many personal accounts does it take you to believe that that crazy thing is real? Is it 20 people coming to you? Is it 50? I think it'd be a lot less than 500. And so we have to wrestle. It's like, okay, either that's real or they were just making it up. But according to the Bible, many people interacted with him after his death. And then uh, the other piece is like, well, this has just become a legend. It's just this thing that's grown and it's come this Great thing. Yeah, that's possible. But if you study legends, how they are born and how they they take place, it takes time. Um, Because it would be like me trying to convince you that 9-11 didn't happen. There's too many people in here. You'd go, that guy's nuts. I saw it. I experienced it. I would gain no traction. So here's here's the piece you got to wrestle with. 20 years after Jesus passes away, people are now writing about it. People are now, the church is moving. It's creating things. There is momentum behind it. Realize we are at 20 years, pretty soon here, 9-11. I don't think I could convince anybody that it didn't happen. There would need to be a generation that would pass and another generation that would pass. And think about it, it's kept going. Now, give me, a legend can grow as it's kind of got years, 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 and years go by, because then you got, well, we don't know, that kind of stuff. No one was actually present there. But the fact that there's still so many people who believe it, so many people who their lives are changed by it, and not only that, it started real fast, where legends would have take more time than that. So I give you that, but... <laughs> What I love about Jesus is that there was even a disciple of his who had this struggle. The disciple's name was Thomas. And the Bible even went after it. He was like, he was known as Doubting Thomas. 
Uh, here's what he said. Now, I mind you, he's got friends, people he knew, people he cared about telling him, Jesus came back to life. Here's his response. They told him, we have seen the Lord. But he replied, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands, put my fingers into them, and place my hands into the wounds in his side. Some of you are like, somebody spoke some truth. Like, finally. Some guy's like, I don't believe your craziness. I've got to feel it. I've got to experience it. I need to see the proof. He doubted. But what Jesus did in this next moment, you need to take in because if you've ever struggled with doubt, realize Jesus will meet you where you're at. Look at this next verse. Then he said to Thomas, this is Jesus, put your finger here and look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. Thomas said, my Lord and my God. If you were to study those, it's pretty much my Messiah, my Savior. You are the real deal. What you claimed, because he probably heard, I'm the resurrection and the life. And he's like, all right, we'll see. Uh, And then he's like, you're it. So if you've ever doubted, know that there's a God who's going, I'll meet you where you're at, and I want you to touch my wounds. I want you to feel them and to know I'm real. So if you're there, know you have hope. The second one is this. Let's go back to that. I do believe in Jesus' resurrection, but I don't deserve it. If there was ever one that I probably struggled with the most, it's this one. Because I grew up in church. I heard about Jesus' resurrection all the time. So I just thought, oh yeah, it probably happened. But I struggled with I don't deserve it. Because there were just mistakes I made, things that I couldn't get right. I felt like I had to earn it. Uh, I'd be like, man, he did this much for me. Okay, I'm going to try to make it up for him. I don't know if you've ever felt that way. And, and so that's just kind of how I live my life, trying to earn it, trying to earn it, trying to earn it. And what it kept me from was actually experiencing that grace. But I also know for uh, just being a pastor as long as I've had, I've sat across the table from some of you, not many of you, and hearing your stories, hearing the pain that someone has caused you and the shame you now walk with, or the pain that you've caused others. And you feel so shameful about the divorce that's happened or your kids are a mess or whatever it may be. And you start kind of wondering, is the resurrection for me too? Do I really deserve it? Because man, shame has a way of causing us to believe lies we shouldn't believe. And it starts with guilt, because maybe we realize it's wrong, but then it moves to the shame, and we're like, ah, I just don't know anymore. I struggle. I think, I think it's real. I just don't know if it applies to me. And once again, we have an example of this in the Bible to where one of his disciples, Peter, he felt that. Peter was one of those personalities where uh, him and Jesus' relationship, Peter was kind of like that, okay, Jesus, I'll do whatever you want. Let's go do this. Let's go take everything down. Let's, like that friend that just is encouraging but says he'll be there through thick and thin. I, that, that was Peter. 
wanted to be that guy. Then the rubber meets the road when Jesus gets arrested. And he's trying to be strong, trying to hold up. Like, I, gotta, I'm, I, I said I would do this. I said I'd be there. I'd stay with him through it all. And then three moments came about to where, as he's watching his friend be arrested, being beaten, people are, hey, aren't you, aren't you one of his disciples? No, I've never known the man. Don't know who he is. I'm not connected with him. Jesus even predicted he would do this. And think about a friend, and you, you go, I want to be there for him. And, he's, and your friend looks at you and you go, you're not going to be there. You're going to drop the ball. So Jesus dies. Jesus is raised from the dead. Peter's like there for some of the moments. But he also is probably like some of us is going, okay, that's awesome. Jesus, how are we doing? Are we good? I don't know where things stand right now because we left them kind of in an awkward spot. I denied you three times. It was really weird. I don't know how to navigate this. And he had so much shame because before he was living a life that was like, okay, I'm going to live for Jesus. I'm going to go after the ministry he has for me. And then he's like, I don't know if I can do that anymore. I guess I'll go back to fishing, the thing that I know, the thing that I'm comfortable doing. Jesus meets him and goes, sees him out in the water with some of the other disciples. He calls him in and goes, hey, come on in here. I want to have uh, breakfast with you guys. They start having breakfast. And I don't know if all the other disciples heard this conversation, but Jesus and Peter start having a conversation where Jesus leans in and starts asking him, Peter, do you love me? And he does it three times. You know what your reaction would be by the third time. You'd be like, dang it. This is not good. But I want to show you what that moment kind of ends with. A third time, he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And in this part, you've got to lock in. Then feed my sheep. He had the honest conversation with Peter, going, I want to repair this relationship. I want you to know the resurrection is for you too. You deserve it. Don't let your shame tell you you don't. But I need you to know, I need you to answer this question, do you love me? Do you care about me? Do you believe in me? Because I need you to answer that out loud. I need you to own that. And then the beautiful part is, he goes, and if you are willing then I want you to go after what I told you to go after before my death. Be the person I designed you to be. Go lead people to me. And Peter was the one that started the church, but he dealt with his shame. He dealt with the struggle of going, I don't know if the resurrection is for me, but Jesus told him it is. And don't ever let your shame dictate anything else. And then we go to the third one. I do believe, but it is not important to my life now. I think there becomes some moments in our lives, maybe you grew up in church or whatever the case may be, you grow up and you've heard it so many times, you're like, ah, it's good. 
But you can start treating it like it's just another miracle, or you start treating it like it's not the most uh, top priority. Uh, to give you an example of somebody like that in the Bible, there was a guy named Saul. Saul was a religious leader. He was part of seeing a lot of this happen. He was probably a little bit younger in the sense of seeing that, but as he became adult, the church was starting. Things were starting to gain some momentum, but he knew all about Jesus' death and resurrection. And he was a big, staunch Jewish Pharisee. And he believed in the Jewish religion with all his heart. And so he was sitting there going, I know Jesus is a good man, but, uh, and maybe the resurrection is true, but it's not the most important thing. Most important thing is to realize that we have another Messiah coming. And that's what a lot of Jews still believe is the Messiah is still to come. It wasn't Jesus. Saul was convinced of that. So he's like, I, I, he might have believed it, but it's just not important. It's not the most important thing. He was about, he needed the, the order and the law in order to make sense. And he's almost kind of this, I, I need to earn it. I need to show that God, I can do this. And he was very passionate about that. To the point he was persecuting Christians because he was hating the direction that these Christians were leading people. This is not the most important thing. Now we may go, that's intense. Why would somebody do that? Realize that is still happening to this day. There is uh, some beliefs now, and it's kind of put in this frame of progressive Christianity to where the way to become close to God is through your actions. Number one priority social justice, suffering, making sure that goes away, making our world a better place for the next generation. These are all great things. These are important to God. But the number one thing is his son, Jesus, and his death and resurrection for all of humanity. Because if we start to define what matters to God, then we've created our own God. We go, no, 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 God cares so much more about social justice than the resurrection. That's just another miracle. Uh, be careful with that. And you could put other priorities in here to where we make it about, and I think sometimes that makes us feel better. We have a little bit more control. Okay, if I do all these things at the end of my life, I can look at it and go, I accomplished something. This makes me feel good about myself. The truth is the resurrection is something we cannot solve on our own. It is life that is given to us, and we are completely dependent on God for it. And I think God is always kind of telling us, reminding us, you are dependent on me. You will never be able to dictate how I should lead, how I should love, because I'm God. And he's told us what the most important thing is. His son, Jesus, dying on the cross for us and raising from the grave for us. Remember what Jesus said while he was here. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. So if you're there, it happens. I've had these moments where I've prioritized something beyond the most important. Saul was there. And once again, Jesus meets him where he's at. Look at this in Acts. There's a moment where Saul is going after 
knew these Christians, and on the road there, he has a moment with Jesus. He fell to the ground and heard a voice shining, uh, saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city, and you'll be told what you must do. Saul later uh, changed his name to Paul. And many of you may have heard of Paul before to where he became the one that started many churches, wrote many of the letters in the Bible. But this is where his moment changed. He thought he was right. He thought he had all in the right spot, so passionate, so all that. But he realized it was all in the wrong thing. The priorities were out of order. And all that changed for him. So now we go to the last one I brought up, the one that I hope we land on. And as I do believe in Jesus' resurrection is the foundation to my faith. And it may be a question now you may go, okay, how do I make sure I'm there? How do I live there? Well, Paul actually gave us some great wisdom. Since we've been united with him in his death, remember, his death conquered our sin for us we will also be raised to life as he was. And so I wanted to spend some time on this united word because not only are we united with his death, we're also united with his resurrection. So if you looked up that word, uh, here you go. Symphotos is the Greek word for it. And so it means planted together, grafted in. It's a bigger concept than just this, hey, okay, we have, you know, we hold arms together. We're united in our beliefs. It's so much bigger gives this picture of planted together, grafted in. To show you a picture of grafting, this is what it looks like. It kind of looks weird. Let's just be honest. Uh, but what it is, is you would take a branch that is growing, and you would cut it off, and then you would put it in this tree, and you would kind of create a slit and all that kind of stuff. But it's kind of this messy process. But it, what happens is, is once it's grafted in, it has this new life that comes. There was uh, somebody who took this to an extreme. It was an artist, uh, and he decided to kind of start playing around with this, and he decided to take a tree and graft in so many different kind of fruit trees. Uh, So just to give you a little bit, his name was Sam Van Aken. Uh, He has produced this tree right here. It's called the the Tree of 40 Fruits. It can, can produce 40 different fruits in this tree. Um, And they've all been grafted in. It takes about three years uh, for it to happen. There are 16 trees across seven states. But if you're curious, uh, here's kind of, it's peaches, apricots, plums, cherries, and nectarines. Uh, Just beautiful. Crazy beautiful. And if you just, uh, if you wouldn't mind, go back to that slide right here. This is where it starts. This is where it ends. And when I saw this, all I could picture is making this connection. This is what the resurrection is. It is life. It is this beautiful picture of God going, come to the tree of life. Be grafted in. And all of us, the way he wired us, we start creating this beautiful tree that has so many pieces connected to it. So many beautiful things. And it begins to look like a thing that's like, how is this happening? How does it have so much color? How does it, and God's going, that's the beauty of the resurrection. 
It gives us a life we don't deserve. A new beginning because you think about it, that twig representing your life up to this point. If you're by yourself in that, can you handle the storms that may come? Probably not. Because you're small. Storms going to be big. You need to be part of something that can hold it, that can come together. And you think about even being connected with other people, being connected with God. It's this incredible picture of being grafted in and having new life. With that picture, I wanted to read this scripture because I believe there's a moment when the scripture comes alive when we have that picture. Jesus said these words, I am the true grapevine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so they will produce even more. You have already been pruned and purified by the message I've given you. Remain in me and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Giving us a beautiful picture of what this is, and I love how God even puts an artist to give us this beautiful picture of what it looks like even in our world today. Let me just say this. The resurrection is not just another miracle. It's the greatest miracle of all time. It's the one that changes all of our lives. Paul, after he wrote that united piece, he even uh, added this piece in the next part of it. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin, for when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sins. Don't forget, it says, I'm the resurrection and the life. You have the ability to experience new life. Go back to that scripture we started with. I want you to picture Jesus saying this to you. You're part of this conversation. I'm the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live. Even after dying, everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. Do you believe this? That's the challenge. Do you believe this? So two questions I wanted to finish with. The first is, do you believe Jesus' claim? Maybe you've been in the doubt season. Maybe you've been in the I don't deserve it season. Maybe you've had other priorities above this. But you have the opportunity now to go, do I believe this? Am I owning this? And I hope that you'll take that step because I believe it's life-changing and it's life-giving. The other question I want you to raise is, are you grafted in? Because maybe you've made that decision. But realize, if we're grafted in, the the example of that, the, the way to be able to see it, am I grafted in, is that there's life coming out of you. You have bringing life to your coworkers, bringing life to your family, bringing life to the people around you. That's how you know you are being grafted in because God is showing you how to bring hope to the people around you. That's what the church is supposed to be. That's why he created the church, to be the vehicle of hope. That's why we have to be grafted in so we can bring the hope that this world needs. As we kind of enter now into a time I would just love to pray, my hope is during this prayer time you wrestle with those questions and allow God to speak to you and go, how do you view the resurrection? Is it changing your life or is it just another miracle? Let's pray.
Dear God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for just everything that you're doing. I pray that you would be with us. Guide us in these moments. My biggest hope is that the resurrection would become alive to us. Just like that tree that we saw, we're grafted in. We start to see the beauty of this world. Because God, sometimes it's hard. Sometimes with the evil we see, the ugliness we see, the things that we've experienced, it's hard for us to believe that. But God, may we hold on to that hope. Because we need it. And God, wherever anybody may be, if they doubt, God, may you just show up in their lives in incredible ways and may they see it. If they feel that they've got too much shame, may they recognize that you have taken that shame to the cross and rose from the grave so that they can have life. God, if they've had other priorities, may they seek the forgiveness and be able to experience the life you truly have for them. God, we need that. We want that. I think one of our deepest desires is to live a life that is full and meaningful. But God, also, it's incredible to think that we get to do that for eternity. So thank you for your resurrection that gives us life. Because if you had only died on the cross, the truth is we would never be able to be with you because we couldn't conquer death. Your resurrection does that for us. We thank you for that. And may we learn to own it, to appreciate it, and put it as the top priority. God, we need your help. And we pray all this in your name. Amen.